0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A Spoonful of Recovery. Just as usual, a few trigger warnings. We will be going through symptoms of illnesses and mental health. So, if you find any of those challenging, this episode might not be for you. So, today I have Sharon.
1: Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm Sharon from London, UK, and I have had Crohn's disease for just over 20 years now. I was diagnosed in 2002. Um, and I've been through several different medications. I've had surgery three times now, and I'm currently going through a very mild flare, hopefully with like regular monitoring and been very proactive in keeping in touch with my team. We can uh, prevent it from getting any worse. But yeah, things are fairly settled now. I am working and doing well generally. So yeah, that's me.
0: For people who might not know what Crohn's disease is or how it impacts your daily life, can you just Mm -hmm. explain a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So Crohn's is, it's kind of an, it comes under inflammatory bowel disease is the umbrella term. And there's two types, either Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. I have Crohn's and and that can affect any part of your uh, gastrointestinal tract. And it causes inflammation on the lining of the Uh, GI tract. So the cause is for the most part still unknown, but there are obviously factors that through the years we have found, like research has found to impact kind of the onset of the condition. So like environmental factors, stress, diet, um, and even genetics are said to play a part as well. And there's at present no known cure either. So it is controlled by medication. And in terms of Um, impacting your daily life so I think uh, if anyone does know like the basics of Crohn's and IBD inflammatory bowel disease they might know that you know it causes um, abdominal pain and diarrhea and you might get nausea or vomiting with it as well but uh, like the bigger picture with Crohn's is that it can you know also cause uh, fatigue quite extreme fatigue as well and it can uh, really impact your daily life you know because you just feel like you never have enough energy to be doing the things that you want to do and uh, because food and diet plays such a huge part in trying to manage you know what you can tolerate what you can't and um, that can also lead to um you know people have known to develop eating disorders because of it or they are unable to you know maintain kind of the body weight or image that that they need to to stay healthy. So that can lead to malnutrition and which can cause, you know, other things like anemia, which I've dealt with um, since before my diagnosis. I've had anemia for a very long time, which can be an indication that there is something going on. So uh, things like that, you know, it's, again, impacts the being anemic and being low with like nutrients and things can also impact your like the fatigue and the tiredness. So uh, all in all, it's just not really having the energy and there can be kind of a lack of concentration. You're not able to focus on things. And then other extra intestinal manifestations is what they refer to things that kind of linked to, linked to IBD. So um, that could be, you can have issues with your eyes. You can have issues uh, with like your joints. Your bone health can be affected. Overall, there's there there are so many other um, symptoms and side effects that are linked to uh, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis that I think aren't very obvious. It's very easy to come across as someone who is well, and you know they, you know they shouldn't be as tired as they claim to be, or they you know they don't look sick. It's hard to kind of believe someone that. For example, when, you know, I've needed to take time off work because the condition is so unpredictable. And when I've gone back in, you do always kind of get this look that, oh, you don't look like you've been sick. But it's very much an invisible condition where a lot of what goes on is going on inside. So it's really hard to, you know, make people see the things that you're going through. What was it like growing up with Crohn's? That's a good question. I think because... I was quite young. So I was, I I think I was just, I was still in primary school at the time, just going into like secondary school. And at the time, it was confusing because um, it came on quite suddenly for me. My symptoms started around September 2001. And I went from being completely fine, from what I remember to just waking up with abdominal pain and diarrhea, which then led to the occasional vomiting, and then it, you know, escalated to vomiting after every meal. And it got to a point where I just couldn't tolerate any food and just thinking about eating made me feel sick. And then, you know, I was losing a lot of energy and it was, it was kind of, I was just, I felt like I was just rapidly fading away and I couldn't understand why. And my GP at the time, and I think this is still a huge issue, is that The, the symptoms of IBD and like Crohn's or colitis, they're not recognized. So that delays the diagnosis because when I went to my GP for the first time, it was kind of just put down as indigestion. And I was given, I remember Rene Duo and I was told that I'm very anemic. So I was given iron tablets and I was sent away. But then, you know, my mom was like, but then why is everything else happening? You know, she's going through all these other things surely indi- indigestion isn't causing the vomiting and everything else. Um, so I think it was just very confusing. And then coming from like a Punjabi family, my parents' first language isn't English. When we were kind of referred on to the hospital, I felt like when the diagnosis happened, there was a major lack of understanding for my, for my parents because it was kind of just explained to them. And, you know, they took in what parts they understood, but then... parts they didn't understand it was kind of just just left at that there was never any kind of you know maybe we can get interpreters for you maybe we can try to help you understand it better as parents and then with me being a kid I felt like I took in what I could and then everything else I didn't understand all the kind of medical jargon um, just went over my head and I thought at that time i thought okay now i've been diagnosed they're going to find a way to treat me and i'm going to get better and i can just get on with my life because in my mind that is what i saw kind of a diagnosis being like i'd never been to hospital before that really but you know you see like all these medical shows on tv and you think once you're under you know good care they're going to treat you you're going to get better so i think there was a real lack of understanding for me and my family about what a chronic condition means and what It means for something that you're diagnosed with having no cure, like all of that didn't really make much sense to me. So when they put me on medication, I thought, okay, I'm good. I can go back to school and just go about my day. But instead of putting me on medication right away, they wanted to first try, they kind of do an elemental diet, which is like a feed that you drink, you eliminate all food. And then you slowly kind of, you allow your bowel to rest and then you slowly reintroduce food after a certain amount of time. But then that required having a nasogastric tube uh, that goes um, up your nose and then down to your stomach. When I heard that, I was like, how am I supposed to go to school with something like that? You know, it's so visible. And I was always quite a shy kid and I was like, that's just going to make things so much worse for me. Luckily um, they offered homeschooling at the time I think for children who are uh, poorly or you know, have an illness of some sort, they can arrange homeschooling for you. So for the remainder of that year after my diagnosis, I did school from home until the tube was gone. And because the, the, that initial kind of attempt at trying to control the inflammation didn't really work, I then went on to medication and that helped calm things down. So I thought, okay, now that they've given me medication, I'm good. But then a year later, I was told that I need surgery because my pediatric gastroenterologist at the time said that everything else, like your gut as a whole looks good, but there's a small part on the right side of your large intestine that is quite inflamed. And we don't think medication is going to do anything like it's just going to keep coming back. So he suggested that I have the surgery and then we keep things under control with medication. And In my mind then again like I think the lack of knowledge and education at the time I thought oh I'm going to have surgery and this is going to take out the bad part and then I'm going to be fine and I remember having a conversation with my head of year at school at the time who coincidentally her husband had Crohn's as well and she told me that he's had 10 surgeries and he's still very poorly and so for me to hear that I was like oh And I think that's the first time it hit me that this is going to be like a lifetime thing. And this surgery is probably not going to do what I imagined it could. But I I went through with the surgery and luckily, you know, it kept me well enough to get me through the rest of the school and my A-levels. And I managed to get to university. Things started to go downhill when I started university. But yeah, I think I think I didn't take it as seriously as maybe I should have. When I was diagnosed because I didn't think it was going to impact the rest of my life. It was very much like I'm going through it now, but surely I can't be going through it like 20 years later. <laughs> you know, I didn't think it was going to impact my life in the way that it has. And I guess that comes down to patient education and well, the lack of it at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't say it's improved too much with what I've got. When I went to AE, having never been to Amy before, I was about yeah. 29 when I went, and I was like, right, I'm either going to die, or they're going to fix me, and I'll be given a pathway, and I didn't get either, and I just eventually was given a link to a website, and told to like, figure it out, and just be positive, and I was like, I've got symptoms that mimic a brain tumour, you know, that's kind of serious, and they were like, stop making it up, or it's psychological, you know, it's in your head, you're too young to have all this, and I was like, help me why aren't you helping me and I just remember like I can't like think what I would have been like as a child dealing with it because as an adult I did not cope well for the first like six months I really hid it and my mom and dad were like and my brother were like well they've said she's fine but she's dropping on the floor she's going into these seizures and I was like right and they were like so you've been given some tablets they're making you worse and you're not getting better. Yeah. and I was like no and people around me were just I became inconvenient it was like well it's not that bad or you know just be happy and I was like that's not how it works so like mm. did you get a lot of support from friends and family and given that we're both South Asian there is yeah. a lot of stigma like what's your experience been like
1: before I answer I just want to say that you're right it hasn't improved much at all like a lot of the kind of Uh, voluntary work that I have been doing over the past few years it's shocking to see that you know symptoms are still disregarded by health professionals the way that they are and a lot of it comes down to oh you're too young for this or uh, when I first went to my GP I was told that South Asians don't get IBD and that's why he kept ignoring and refusing to refer us on to a specialist and my mom was like okay but then what is wrong with her find out what she's going through and I think what. Makes our experience maybe different is that because I was a child, I felt like I, a lot of the burden fell on my parents, like it was up to them to figure out things for me. Whereas I think, as an adult, I agree, it is harder to deal with because I've got friends who have been diagnosed as adults and it kind of just puts your life at a standstill completely and you don't know what to do. Like, if you're out of work you know you're not making money and then you know that's impacting everything um and there's only so much sick leave that you can take so there's so much you have to think about as an adult which I think as a child I wasn't thinking about and I I am lucky I had that support from my family Um, but I think growing up with it in a South Asian uh family it is very much um I think you're made to feel that you're not doing enough to make things better and like if I would go you know, to a family gathering and I pick up something to eat, it's either, oh, should you be eating that? Like, you know, with everything that's going on with your stomach, there was this assumption for some reason that I had stomach ulcers. And I was like, they're not stomach ulcers. (laughs) I was like, if you took the time to understand the condition, then you would know like how it works and what comes with it and how I manage my diet. And of course, there's times that I would think, you know what, this is going to really mess me up, but I'm just not going to worry about it because there's only so much you can control yourself. And some days you just need to, you know, be like, I'm gonna eat what I want to eat. Like I deserve to just have a normal night for once. But yeah, and and then if I don't eat, it's well, you're not eating anything. Why aren't you eating? You know, you're so skinny already and you're not having anything that we've made for you. You know, this is just going to make things worse for you. Or you get like the third option where they specifically make something for you, which is very sweet of them to do, but sometimes it's not the right thing for me and it will still be something that's going to, you know, cause abdominal pain or diarrhea afterwards, but then you feel guilty. I think there is there is this pressure in our South Asian families where you're made to feel guilty for not like taking part in like mealtimes and not, you know, accepting the food that's been made for you when you go to like, You know, whether it's Diwali or Masaki or whatever, you get together and, you know, someone's prepared a whole lot of food and you're kind of just sat there like, no, I'm good. But then it's almost offensive to them. Like, how dare you refuse what I've made for you? So in that way, I think it was very isolating. It got to a point where I used to just avoid going. And I would say to my parents, like, I'm just going to sit this one out because no one takes the time to understand And I think there's only so much of these comments you can take. And, you know, you get a lot of people who you know that they want the best for you. But when they're like, maybe you should try this or, you know, I know like an Ayurvedic doctor who can make you better just like that. And uh, I even tried Ayurvedic medicine in India because I, I just felt so kind of defeated with the lack of support I was getting from my doctors at the time. And it did nothing. It did nothing to help. And it just felt like a very kind of exhausting process. And my my GP, I did always keep my GP in the loop. I've never like gone against medical advice. And they said, if you want to give this a go, go ahead, but don't ever stop any of the Western medication that you're on. So, you know, I went along with what they were saying, but I, I did feel like I needed to kind of come off the medication to see if the IOV medication is even doing anything. So there was kind of a period where I, I stopped for a short while and, I, th- I thought this isn't doing anything. It's not improving my symptoms in any way. So I guess I got that out of my system, but I feel like I never would have gone down that route if I hadn't heard from so many people, why don't you try this? Why aren't you doing this? So yeah, it's very, I think diff- there's there's a whole new layer that's added on to having any kind of illness as a South Asian, because it's almost like you have to explain yourself to everyone Oh, yeah. Not just just your immediate family. Yeah. Everywhere you go, like your aunts and uncles, your cousins, everyone needs an explanation, whereas it should be something that you should you shouldn't have to give everyone an explanation.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of ableism. And like, just going back to the whole recommendations from every auntie and uncle going, it's like, it took me like nearly a year to accept that there was something wrong, because I hid it because I felt ashamed and you know guilty that I was sick I'm no longer a businesswoman. I'm no longer traveling around the world on my own and there were so many people that made me feel like I deserve to be ill like God's punishing you or you know if you have fatigue why don't you just go to sleep and I'm like that's not how it works or smile you won't be depressed or ignore Mm -hmm. your symptoms oh I've got a friend who just drank honey why don't you do that and I just think sometimes I was I was just like do you think I've not tried? Or yeah. do you think that I want this? And then it was just like, she's too fat. She's too skinny. She's lost weight. She's gaining weight. No one's going to want her. Or she's got something wrong with her. And I remember just thinking, why am I hiding it? And I thought, if I'm hiding it, it says a lot about me as well as a person. So I, I just thought, I'm just going to be open with it. And I started making TikTok videos and people were telling my mom, Shayla was so sick. Why is she telling everyone? Why, oh my God, Um, someone might laugh at her. Oh my God, no one's going to want to marry her. And I was like, either ask if I'm okay or keep it moving. Like there's no need to kind of get involved or, oh, at least it's not cancer or at least you've still got both arms and legs. And it's like, you're you're telling me that how to feel about something that's life-changing. Like it's not okay. And I remember joining groups and some of them were good and what I needed at the time, but there wasn't any I'm recovering or this is how I've managed. I do this now and this is how I raise awareness. It was very toxic. So I was like, I'll just start recording a podcast on my phone. And then I was like, what if I start asking people to come on and share their journey? So yeah, and I just think the more people speak out, the more like it will help raise awareness, even if it stops someone from saying, something like just be happy and positive.
1: It's yeah. like, just stop. Yeah. I think normalizing disability and chronic illness in the South Asian community is so important because like you said, people make you feel like you're damaged goods and that, you know, there's like, you're kind of at the bottom of the like this social hierarchy and you know, you're, you're no good to yeah. get married, you're no good to have kids. So like, what are you good for? And I think, you know, there's different pressures for men and women. Like I know guys with IBD and they have these pressures where, you know, like society expects, well, in the South Asian community, you they grow up and they become like the, the head of the household and then they take care of their parents and, you know, their family and stuff. And when they're not able to do that, it's very mentally challenging for them because they don't feel like, you know, they don't feel like a man because they're not able to do those things whereas for us like for women we're treated like you know we're not good enough to be in this society because no one's going to marry us and no one's going to we're not going to have be able to have kids that becomes a conversation so quickly someone finds out you're sick oh but can you still have kids that like why do you instantly jump to that like like you said why are you not asking like how are things for you now are you doing well you know um how's work it just instantly jumps to all these things and you know people do bring up the marriage thing a lot with me and I just think to myself if I'm not well enough in myself to take care of myself and I feel like all of my energy goes into just making sure that I'm healthy enough to get through the day and you know to do the things that I want to do like marriage isn't even yeah in my mind, it's not something I'm thinking about because I wouldn't go into something that I didn't feel completely confident about, and not just because society expects me to get married at a certain point. And then of course, it's you know finding someone who's accepting of everything that you're going through as well, which isn't easy. you know i've I've dated in the past and I have told, I think two guys before that you know I have Crohns. I told them very early on, I was kind of testing the waters. I kind of wanted to see for myself how they would react, and they reacted exactly as I expected. They ghosted me, yeah. and I thought, okay, well, that's, that's that. At least I found out early on. But, you know, I do, I do wonder how much it's going to take for our community to accept that there is illness. And you know, with this whole kind of shame and guilt thing, it stops people from being getting a diagnosis. It, it stops us from going to the doctor in the first place. Like, I've heard so many of my relatives say, like, oh, my arm hurts. It's been hurting for about six months. Or, you know, I've had diarrhea for about four or five months. But it's just certain foods. And then if I eat better, it's fine again. And I'm thinking to myself, if you've had something for that long, you should probably be seeing a doctor. (laughs) Like, oh, I don't need to go to a doctor. It's fine. It'll, It'll sort itself out. There's just this real reluctance to even want any kind of medical help. And you kind of, they talk themselves into believing that everything's fine. But then that leads to things being undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. And it gets to a point where a lot of these conditions are then left untreatable like you've left it so far like with Crohn's for example early diagnosis can help in so many ways because it can it can lead to more effective treatment it can you know help prevent surgery there's so many things that can help if you notice these symptoms early on and you push for a diagnosis and I know in part that isn't always the patient's fault because like we both said sometimes the doctors just don't believe you and they won't escalate things for you to get a diagnosis. So it's not always our fault, but if we're recognizing these symptoms and the more we talk about it and people are going to think, hold on, I'm going through the same thing. So maybe I need to get medical, you know, seek medical advice as well. So I think that's, I mean, it's not even like, you know, I don't think the conversation should be about like, why are we talking about this? Aren't why are we bringing shame on our family and stuff like that? It should be like, you know, these people are brave enough to talk about their conditions so that other people who might be suffering in silence can then go and get the help that they potentially need. You'd think, wouldn't you? <laughs> you yeah. would like. You would think, like, I've got
0: a, not a broken brain, but my brain and nervous system are pretty much broken and give me random symptoms. But the best part is they don't appear on tests, like MRI scans and blood tests. So everyone in the medical field was like, you're fine, you're healthy. And I'm like, but I'm dropping on the floor in front of you. And a neurologist said, just get up and get on with it and get on with life, work harder. And I was like, the working hard part is probably what got me in this position. And then everyone around was just like making their own judgments, making their own diagnosis. There's nothing wrong. Why is she going to A&E? She doesn't need to go there. That's for people who really need it. Then I was like, maybe I should just not go then. And it did impact my mental health. And then I was told, just stay silent. We don't talk about this. You know, what are people going to say? A common line, I'm sure you've obviously probably heard. Like, you know, yeah, it's okay. about what everyone else sense. is going to perceive. And I got to a point where I was like, F that. I need to be able to do what I can to survive the day. And if that means that I raise aware- awareness and raise my voice, then I'm 100% going to do that. And if people don't like it, then that's their problem and I think it says a lot about other people when they're just like you're all of a sudden inconvenient for them or yeah. oh, I did not invite you and it slowly starts to become like tumbleweed and you're no longer that person anymore and you have like this identity crisis like why are you making me feel like this and I had that a lot and I've struggled so much with the acceptance mm-hmm. part. Has it ever impacted your mental health?
1: Yeah, it has. I think earlier on, maybe there was this kind of denial phase that I was going through because I didn't recognize that it was going to be a chronic illness or like a lifetime thing. I guess maybe in my head, I had it that, you know, medical advances, they're happening so rapidly. You know, 20 years on, they're going to have something to fix this. So I don't need to be worried. But then as time goes on, as you get older, when I went to university... It took me five years to graduate instead of three, because I I just kept relapsing. And I had transitioned from pediatric care to adult care at that time as well. My pediatric doctor was brilliant. They were always so proactive. As soon as I would contact them, they would just say, right, bring yourself to A&E, and we will take care of you from there. And there was never any like Oh, you know just see how you get on at home it was always very quick like come in and we're going to make sure you get better when i transitioned to adult care i think i in the five years i was under the, that gastroenterologist care i met him once the very first time i went to his clinic and then it was always a junior doctor who i could tell had spent five minutes just going through my file very quickly and then would ask me a whole bunch of questions it was just like i was on repeat every single appointment because i was going through the same things right so you were diagnosed in 2002 tell us what's happened since and i was like like you just want me to waste the 15 minute appointment time you're giving me to talk about my history when you should be discussing the now because i was flaring all through university and the only option i was given was to take steroids which aren't really a long term treatment option with Crohn's, it's it's more kind of like, it's like putting a band aid on, you know, what's going on because it does help, but there are so many side effects with steroids, especially when you're young. And I don't know why I waited so long, but after five years, I've eventually, I transferred to a new doctor and he was appalled. He was like, I can't believe they've left you on steroids for five years when you're so young, because it can stunt your growth. It can help it affect your bones makes them weak and so many other things. And he was like, there's that shouldn't have happened to you, but you don't know any better. So I think the order I got is when you start to realize the mental impact that it's having on you without even realizing. And I think that comes, it's very like closely connected to how the South Asian does community doesn't talk about mental health because I didn't even recognize the symptoms of Mm -hmm. like my mental health dropping or declining in any way. But I had surgery in 2014 and um, I had an ileostomy bag for about two and a half years. At first, that was very hard to accept because I thought I'm in my early 20s and I've got a bag attached to my stomach that I basically poop into, like, what is going on with my life? Like, how is this happening to me? I did, after two and a half years, have it reversed. so It was taken down. But my mental health dipped after that for some reason and I think it's because after the bag came off I started hearing from everyone oh you're back to normal now like your life's back back to normal things are fine now the bag's gone so like you need to start thinking about getting married you need to start thinking about you know like what are you are doing work-wise you know you need to get your life back on track and I thought hold on <laughs> I think my life was it's not like I had just paused when I had the bag I was actually very active with the bag I think my life was better With it than without it, because it kind of gave me back that quality of life that I had been lacking for so many years. And I think for the first time in a long time, I was completely symptom free and pain free. But then having the bag removed, of course, um, it took a lot of time to recover from. I felt like, you know, I was being pushed to get back on track, but mentally and physically, I didn't have the strength that I needed. So I felt myself like slowly declining just kind of pulling away from life generally like I was late to work almost every day and I still have that old phone and when I checked through the text messages like the excuses I would make up every day I don't even know how my manager believed me because you know, my car broke down today or you know I'm stuck like I can't get out of the driveway because someone's and parked in front but it was all because like my mental health was declining and I just couldn't physically get myself out of bed in the morning to go to work until like I had to really and when my gastroenterologist had an appointment with him he after you know discussing the usual stuff like he would talk through the symptoms and how many times I opened my bowels a day and checked my weight and stuff I was about to get up and leave and he he was like are you okay like you don't seem fine and I just burst into tears I was like no one's asked me that past I think Five, six years. So I think that was when I really noticed like, okay, so something's going on. And he said, because you're like one of my younger patients, I want to make sure that we're looking after you as a whole, not just your physical health, but your mental health as well. Um, So luckily, he referred me on to, sorry. That's
0: okay. It's okay if you need to take a minute.
1: Yeah. So he told me that he had already referred me on to. A therapist before we even had that conversation, because I think he had gone through his patient list and he said that, you know, you've been dealing with this for a long time, you've had symptoms for a long time, and you do have a severe case. So he said, I want you to see the therapist and, you know, take care of your mental health as well. And luckily, because he had already referred me, I didn't have to wait too long to see her. And it was so helpful at the time, because one thing I really struggled with is when I mentioned that I was seeing a therapist, to like close family it was kind of like no one really knew how to um, respond to that so then I thought okay I'm I'm not going to have that conversation again because it, it just I feel like no one's fully prepared in our community to talk about depression and like seeking therapy and being on antidepressants so that was a conversation I think I never really had with anyone except for my very close friends like I'm lucky that I do have close friends that I can always talk to and With them, like, there's never any judgments and there's never any kind of, oh, like, why do you need that? Like, surely everything's fine, like you mentioned before. Like, maybe you just need to, you know, go out and, you know, get some fresh air or smile or, you know, know, do something to make yourself happy. I had a few people close to me that were very understanding. So I was never, like, fully isolated in what I was going through. And then the therapist as well helped me through, I think for me, what I was going through at the time is that I kept thinking about the past and like, what if I had never gone to university? Maybe then the stress of being at university would have never aggravated my symptoms because one of one trigger I have noticed with my condition is that stress definitely yeah. adds to things. So I was like, what if I'd never done that? Or what if I'd never done that? I wouldn't have wasted five years of my life at university doing a degree that I didn't even follow up afterwards because I don't have like mentally and physically I'm not strong enough I studied radiography at university but when I was done I was like I'm done like I don't want anything to do with it because it was so stressful and so Mm. hard to get through but then in my mind I kept thinking I've just wasted five years of my life like why did I even do that so it was good to have the therapist to talk me through those things and she was like you can't change anything that's happened but what we can try to change is moving forward. And she said, like, and I think, I mean, it would be handy to have a South Asian therapist, I think, to understand that side of things. Because when I explained, like, the whole kind of competitive culture that we grow up in and how we're constantly pitted against one another, so-and-so's son or daughter, look, look at their grades, yeah. what they've done, and look how far they've gone with their life. And I'm sat here, like, I feel like in 10 years I've moved like two steps when like all my peers moved like 20 steps and it you know it does add a lot of pressure on you and you think I haven't really developed professionally like in my career I haven't developed like like you know personally like with relationships or you know starting a family so you kind of just feel like you're at you know you're just kind of stood still where everyone else is moving forward and I think that a lot of that has to do I think with society in general but it's amplified in the South Asian community you're constantly compared to everyone and you're co- and it's not even just by and it you know strangers will do it like they'll come up to you and say you know like why aren't you married yet and yeah. I look at these aunties and uncles I'm like I don't even know who you are <laughs> like why are you like what's it to you what I do with my life And when I was a kid, it's interesting because I would see it happen to my older cousins. And I would think like, I would see them get upset about it and think to myself, it's okay, you know, they're only concerned for you. As you grow up, you (laughs) realize how annoying it is and how upsetting it can be, especially if you're going through like, you know, an illness or like your mental health is affected. Anything that you're going through, no one knows that side of things. They just assume that everyone's fine. everyone should be on the same track. And if you're not, you're somehow like defective.
0: Oh, 100%, yeah. I remember reaching out to a few people when my mental health was at crisis point. And I had one who just said, go to a psych ward then. Another one was like, I don't really want to talk to you when you're in this state, get yourself together. And someone else said something. And I was at crisis point. So I called Samaritans for four months every day, three times a day. I was at that point writing notes. And it was like, you can't say things like that. I mean, you should be grateful. Oh my God, this and that. And it just made it worse. It wasn't until I accepted it and I said it out loud to someone else. And she was like, right, go through pals, change your medical practice. I had support from people I didn't really know. And they were like, "Just this is the path that you need to be taking. And I was like, do you, you still wanna talk to me? Everyone else has left. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what you need to do. It's not your fault you got sick. And I was like, but everyone else is telling me I am. And um, I remember someone saying, oh, well, Shayla's never going to get married. She's going to be on the wrong side of 30. And I'm like, do you know what it takes for me to survive the day, sometimes the hour? And yeah. sometimes I have to compare like the past two years and what I've done rather than my whole life, because then it's just depressing. Like I used to work this many hours. I used to travel yeah. all the way to friggin' Antarctica. And I used to have a very privileged life and I was doing this. And now everyone around me is saying, what have you been doing? What do you mean? Oh, but you look fine though. Oh, I had migraines once. And I'm like, it's not the same. Don't try and compete. And I think that happens as you get older because everyone around you is like, I've got kids now, or oh, you're not getting married. Don't delay it anymore. And you're like, as you said, like, you know, if I could find someone who would, you know, take the whole package, then fine. But I'm not going to put my life on hold for that. Yeah. conversations to have with people where they're like, oh, no, don't, don't worry. I'm sure there'll be someone for you. No, don't. Yeah, don't worry. And I remember an auntie saying to me, she kept saying to me, literally borderline harassment, You, you, you're, you no one's going to want you now. You're past like 22, I'm 32 now. And no one's going to want you. So she was like, one day, why aren't you married? I said, auntie, I'm too old. You've... And she was like, no, 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 don't say that. I said, you've been saying it to me for about seven years. I'm now going to agree with you and she was like no 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 you don't say stuff like that no someone someone, someone's written for you and I was like you know what where do we go from here like I've accepted it it's like saying if you're married your life will be okay that person might walk out on me and this is this is what you take from there and I'm just like I'm okay like I'm content as long as I don't go to all the events um like you said I don't go to that many if it's going to cost me my peace and my mental health, no mm. thank you. And I think it got to a point where my mum was like, okay, look after your mental health. You don't have to go to this thing. What yeah. is does you feel like? I see you at the door at seven. <laughs> you What do you mean you're not going protesting? I'm like, yeah, I'm not going. Whereas now I'm just like, it is what it is. And I do get yeah. sometimes messages from people saying, oh, thank you for speaking up. I've got this and I had to deal with this. And, you know, thank you. I'm like, okay, so yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done.
1: Mm. In
0: terms of the work that you do on social media, let's talk a bit about that.
1: Yeah, sure. I think sometimes all it takes is one person to have a change on the community as a whole. And I actually kept my condition very quiet. I'd say until like 2018, and that was after I dealt with the depression and everything. And I think my therapist helped me come to a place where I had finally accepted like, this is my life. And if I have to go at my own pace, I can't compare myself to people. I have to just do what's good for me. And as you mentioned, like about the marriage thing, it's almost in our community, what I've noticed is that people are more accepting of you rushing into a marriage and then ending up in a divorce, because then at least you tried, rather than just protecting yourself and allowing yourself that time to really find the right person for you. And that was always very bizarre to me. So I was like, you would rather I rush into things, potentially make my health even worse, and then they leave me anyway. It's okay, you tried, you know, we can always try again. So like, that was always like very confusing to me. And after like I had the therapy and everything, I felt like I needed to reach out to a community that understands me. And, and I knew the only way I could do that is to open up about my condition in some format. So the first thing I did then was join Crohn's and Colitis UK as a volunteer. And that was really helpful in just coming together with a community that understood every like waking hour of having to live with this condition. Not just everything you tell them or everything they read on the internet. Like everything that comes with fatigue and like sometimes just not even being able to get up to, you know, to get on with the day or like needing like two, maybe three naps in the day and not, you know, thinking you're too young for that. Like who needs a nap at your age? You know, there was never any judgment. And that made me feel, I felt like it was so like freeing in a way that I had never experienced before because I've, I've always had great support from like my immediate family, but I think there's still a level of understanding that wasn't there that I got from volunteering. And then after volunteering, like with Crohn's and Colitis UK for a couple of years and seeing the support that you were able to give people, like you mentioned, we would do monthly coffee mornings. And some of the people that would come along to these events had never opened up about their Crohn's or colitis to anyone before. And just being able to chat to us and sit with us, it gave them the support That I think they didn't even know that they needed. Like there was a young girl who came to the very first session, I remember, and she was very, she had only recently had surgery. So she had a stoma bag she was really struggling to come to terms with it. And I saw her again, then a year later, come to one of our events again. And it was like a completely different person. She had gained weight. She was working again. She actually started her own business in that time. And, you know, she came basically to thank us. She said, like, the conversation I had with you a year ago kind of made me realize that this isn't, like, my life isn't over because of this. I just need to find a way to make it work for me. But what I felt was lacking at that time was that there wasn't really much being done for the South Asian community. I think I had, like, one couple come up to me at an event once, and it was the wife who came up to me, and the husband was the one who had Crohn's. He was kind of standing off... Like to the side, and she's like, "He won't, you know, he won't do anything about it. He won't go to the doctor, even though he's going through a flare at the moment. He just thinks it's going to be fine if we just kind of control the diet and stuff." So she picked up a bunch of leaflets, and she's like, "I don't know what to do. Like, he he doesn't listen to me." And um, I think that's when I realised like this kind of like shame and guilt in our community really needs work done. And luckily, at that time, I came across a couple of other South Asian patients on Instagram I I made my Instagram like early 2020 Crohn's Babble and it was mostly because of COVID everything had stopped in terms of like the voluntary work that we were doing for Crohn's and Colitis UK so I felt like I needed an outlet to just carry on in some way because otherwise I felt like I would just become very isolated again. And, you know, a couple of us came together and we realized that even though we're from like all different parts of the world, like, you know, one of them's from America and, you know, some of them are from India. We all go through the same experiences, like as South Asian people with living with chronic conditions. Uh, from there, we, you know, came together and started a platform, IBD This Is, and it kind of became like a safe space for South Asians living with IBD. And we realized how necessary the platform was because they, the the response we were getting from, you know, like the posts that we were sharing and just being able to provide, you know, our share, our experiences made them realize that they're not alone in dealing with what they're dealing with. And so a lot of the work I've done, like personally is just, I think like yourself, just to let people know that they're not alone in this. and. If sharing my experience can in some way help someone feel heard or, you know, that they can then feel confident in owning and accepting their condition, then, you know, we're doing something right, I guess, because I didn't have that support growing up. I don't, and I think if I had seen, you know, like podcasts like you're doing, or, you know, like the support groups online that we're seeing now, because of social media, if I had seen a lot of that, when I was growing up with Crohn's, as a teenager, especially, I think I would have reached that kind of acceptance phase a lot sooner than I did, because I was very reckless as a teenager, I used to eat whatever I wanted, I used to just, I didn't care, because I thought, what's the worst that could happen, you know, I'll have a really terrible week after I eat what I wanted to, and then I'll just go back to kind of being fine again because doctors aren't taking me seriously anyway like that was the time I was on steroids for a long period of time I felt like they'd given up on me so I kind of felt like I had given up on myself as well because there didn't seem to be any alternative treatment option and it is frustrating that a lot of it falls on like the healthcare professionals deciding for you like Mm -hmm. what's going to happen to you and how your health is going like they determine the direction of your healthcare which is frustrating when they don't listen I think even with that so like I said before being proactive with this condition is so important before the diagnosis and even after if you're going through if you notice yourself kind of relapsing in that you know you're going through a flare again catching it early and having something done about it as soon as possible is so much better than letting it just go until you end up in hospital and your flare is severe when I was a teenager, I used to just let it go until I needed to be admitted because I didn't I didn't think I could reach out before that. Like you said, everyone used to assume that the A&E is for accident and emergencies. And when I was going through a flare, I, I didn't class myself as being an emergency case because it was just so regular to me, always mm. being in pain, always having the diarrhea and then the occasional vomiting. It was only when I wouldn't be able to stop the vomiting is when I would my mum would say right we're going to A&E and even she says to me she's like I don't know why we used to wait that long like I don't know why we used to just leave it and you would be kind of like curled up on the floor in agonizing pain and we used to just accept it like I don't know what it was about you know like the whole situation we kind of just accepted it rather than pushing and I don't know if that's the clinicians not taking us seriously or if it's just as a community we feel like you know we don't want to use resources unless we absolutely need to but I think there's a change that needs to come about with that as well like people need to start reaching out to and seeking medical help when they need and like you mentioned earlier about your mental health and you know chatting to the Samaritans and maybe feeling like you didn't have any other option at the time because people were making you feel like, you know, just get on with it. So you obviously reached out and sought out the only option you thought you had. But I think if people are become more understanding and actually start to realize that these are real issues, real problems, real concerns, then you wouldn't feel so guilty about asking for help. I think uh, with every, anyone who's doing any kind of work to raise awareness, I think that is the key goal to make people feel like they can also reach out for the help that they need and just to show a little bit of empathy to the people that are going through stuff rather than you know like the unsolicited advice that is so often given and just kind of this kind of guilt tripping that I've never really liked and making us feel like oh things could be worse so you should be grateful you know, that you're, you're alive, you're well, you've got, like you said, you've got both your arms, both your legs, you can walk, you can function, you can go to work. Yeah, but there's so much, there's so much I can't do. You know, there's so much that I could have done if I didn't have any condition. So it would be nice if people could just extend a little bit of empathy towards that, that, you know, there is a huge part of our lives that have been taken away because of these conditions. So I think, you know, overall, it's just changing people's mindset and that I've realized because I think the work I have been doing is having a positive impact. It makes you realize that, okay, the more we do, the more the more it is going to start changing people's minds. And hopefully, you know, we're going to get to a point where we can sit around together with family and just have an open, honest conversation about physical health or mental health, whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, 100%. And it's not easy. And I remember telling someone that I was bedbound and that person was like, so Netflix then, woo, enjoy your, enjoy your time. And I said, mm-hmm. it's not a two week thing, you know, like when oh, you've yeah. had that for six months and you're an outdoorsy person and a very active person,
1: yeah. you can go
0: to the gym and always outdoors to then be bedbound and no one tell you what's wrong and kind of gaslight you. It's not a holiday. And I remember mm-hmm. that person being like, But you're all right now though, aren't you? You're all right. And I was like, just because I don't speak about the treatment around people, I keep that very much. I it's personal, but I do tell like TikTok. So I'll tell strangers online. Yeah. Raise awareness Mm -hmm. and I'll write about it and I'll share stuff on the podcast. But I won't tell people around me because I can't be bothered. And I don't want to then go, well, I'm having some treatment for my brain. Oh well, what does that mean? What's wrong? (gasps) Something happened, or but I thought you were fine. And we just go around the same cycle. Yeah. And I just like if I can, I have it on the podcast, and if people want to listen, they listen. If they don't, then they don't. And it does sometimes make you feel a bit empty when everyone's like, "What have you been up to?" Or did you get this? Oh yeah, I'm with so and so, and I went on these dates, and I did this. And you're just like, "I made it through the hour," and Mm. when you're having to make sacrifices to kind of go out you have to do less activity during the day explaining that to people who don't get like the spoon theory or they don't understand what it's like to pace it can be very Mm -hmm. challenging because they're like yeah but you look fine or I saw you walking earlier on so there couldn't possibly be anything wrong and I got tired of having to explain to people how sick I was I just didn't want to it's, it's almost like you've got to qualify right yeah. you've not got bandages or bruises around you necessarily yeah. so it's almost like well you're not fitting this criteria so therefore you can't be sick and I remember someone saying to me oh well who's going to want to deal with you you're never going to get married and I was like tell me what you really think and it was just like no mm-hmm. so yeah definitely a lot of work to be done
1: yeah it's sad like you I think when you open up you expect like understanding but it for some reason it turns into this like oh well you know that's like no one's going to want to deal with that Um, and it confuses me because on one side like you know we're doing I think incredibly powerful work in our community and trying to change mindsets but when they throw that in your face you kind of think is this even worth it because the constant comments can get a bit much. And funny that you mentioned um, not being able to kind of open up, you know, to people that are like in your personal life and strangers is so much easier. And I found that as well. When I created my Instagram page, I was just, you know, like an open book talking about my experience right from the beginning. And then like relatives started to find it. And I I, I was like, oh my God, like, and then I've started panicking. And I didn't feel like sharing as much as I was before that. And because of COVID, I didn't have much uh, contact with anyone. So for those like two years, I didn't really have to face anyone who was maybe, you know, visiting my Instagram page. I could tell like, you know, when you see who's viewed your stories, it would be people that I knew. And I was like, oh, my God, what are they doing on my page? (laughs) Um, But I just carried on because I was oblivious to it because I didn't need to hear it from them in person. But then, like, when I started seeing people more and, and like their tone kind of changed and they were more curious about my condition. And that's when I realized like it's not from a place, not necessarily, and let me word this how I'm thinking. To me, I thought, is this them genuinely wanting to understand my condition or are they just digging for gossip, you know, and like, oh, so and so's daughter. Did you know, like, what happened to her and everything she's been through? Like, when I had my ileostomy bag, for example, the first year was horrific. First six months, I would say. Because the year after, my brother was due to get married. And a huge part of me, like, I had a good cry to my consultant about it. It's like, how am I supposed to wear all the dresses I want to wear? Like, saris and things. When I've got a bag attached to my stomach, I was like, this just isn't adding up and you guys promised me that I would only have it for six months and now you're telling me to keep it. I was like, this, it's not fair. And, um, and then I started crying and then I felt ridiculous for crying because I was like, you've got it in your head that, you know, things could be worse because you hear it so often. So I felt like I couldn't have that kind of meltdown that I was having because I was generally doing well. And, It was nice to hear from one of the stoma nurses that you're completely valid in having, you know, like the feeling how you're feeling because it's almost like you're mourning the life that maybe you have had um, or that you can't have. You know, there's a lot of things that change as you go through, like you mentioned, you know, going from a very outdoorsy person to then suddenly having all of that taken away from you. The mental toll of that is heavy, you know, because, there's no way you can't think about like, you know, all the things I was doing and now I'm not doing any of that and that's how I felt at that time but then being able to get through like my brother's wedding with not a single person realizing that I had a stoma bag except for my my immediate family and my close cousins that I had told, it made me realize that, you know, Part of me wishes I had been open about it so I didn't have to be so secretive. Like I felt like I was like walking on eggshells, making sure like no one sees it and wearing my sari much higher than I needed to and just finding ways to keep it quiet. But I know what people can be like. And I and as much as I don't care, I also don't want to be the topic of conversation, like with gossip and stuff. Like I don't want to hear from like hearsay come back to me they were talking about you in your bag. I don't know. It's very conflicting because part of me doesn't care. Part of me doesn't want anyone to be talking about me. Like I hate being the topic of the conversation, and I hate for it to come back to my family. And I don't know if that's just kind of like kind of drilled into us when we're kids. You know, like you don't want people gossiping gossiping about you. You don't want uh, people saying anything about you. I think internally that's been a battle that I've been dealing with. Like making sure that I am able to do the work that I'm doing because I want to do it and also trying to deal with this kind of how we've grown up into feeling like we shouldn't be gossiped about and we don't want people talking about us the thing I hate about gossip is it's never true Mm. you know it goes it's from hearsay and it goes from one thing to the next to the next and then suddenly like you know a lot of people associate like ostomy bags for example with cancer bowel cancer and I remember hearing that like oh like she had a bag she's so young did she have cancer and you know things like that so it it's like no one takes the time to actually come to you directly for the information they just assume what they want to assume um, and like you said it's just like I can't be bothered to explain myself anymore it's 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 to that point where even if like family asked me, I'm like, just go online, like look it up Mm -hmm. because I'm so tired of talking about myself over and over again. It's much easier for me to like write a post and put it online than it is for me to sit and have a conversation because I feel like then it just becomes your entire identity. As much as like Crohn's does define me because it is like my identity. It is a huge part of my life. I also don't want it to be the only thing people want to talk to me about because it gets exhausting and then it's like people don't see you as a person they just see you as someone with an illness
0: yeah I 100% agree like I did a lot of photography beforehand I am um, like love to fly my drone and I still put pictures up and I'm just like is it fraudulent because I don't do this as much but then I don't want to just talk about being ill but it's important something might happen that day and I'm like oh my god and then there's other times where I'm like I don't want it to just define me and be who I am because yes it's taken over a lot of my life and a lot of the work that I do is based around the illnesses but it's like there's another part and I've had to mourn that part but I still enjoy photography and um, I still love stargazing and you know yeah. solo travel still a thing to me just yeah. can't do it like I used to. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just transitioning into that.
1: Yeah, that's so important. I think as much as we're trying to raise awareness outside of the like disabled and chronically ill community, it's also within. Um, what I've found is that people often feel like that's it, their lives are done because they've been diagnosed with something. So I think you know, sharing other interests and showing that we are doing the best that we can to continue doing, you know, continue on with our interests and things that we enjoy doing, but you just do it in a different way. Like um, when I had the ileostomy bag, I felt like I was learning to walk again because I was like, I used to do this, but can I do it with a bag? I used to be doing this, but can I now do this with a bag? So like when I traveled for the first time, I was like, okay, tick, that's fine. When I went swimming, I was like, okay, that's great. And then when I went back to netball, I felt like it gave me the strength to start doing things. So even when like the bag was taken down, I've realized that you just have to find your own way to do these things. And it is difficult because you kind of, as much as like like therapy has helped, it's hard to completely let go of who you were in the past. I was diagnosed so young, so I feel like I don't have it as, like I don't have a memory of me before this condition as much as like someone who is diagnosed an adult might have but um, I do like through the periods where I've had remission I do start to think like how was I so active like I used to go to work and have time to do things in the evening whereas now I'm just like work, eat, sleep because that's all I have the energy to do but I've accepted that that's okay and if I do things I'll do them just more sporadically so I'll maybe you know, pick a weekend where I am going to do something, but then I won't do something. Won't do anything for like the rest of that month, because, you know, that's me maxed out. And that's okay. I think just accepting that is important. Um, but let, holding on to your interests is so important, because I think if you lose yourself completely, then the illness can just consume you um, in a way that can be very draining mentally.
0: Have there been any silver linings for you?
1: I think... Obviously, I don't know because I've had it for so long, but I think it has made me a much more confident um, and independent person than maybe I would have been. I think if I had grown up without this condition, obviously I would have gone on to potentially, you know, fulfill like all of my career dreams and everything. As a kid, I wanted to be a doctor. I do think I would have played into societal norms much more. Like I would have been very much like I need to be married by 25. I need to have kids before 30 because that's how you grow up. And I think if nothing throws you off course, you're never going to think any different. So I think in a way, like as much as I've gone through, this has allowed me to prioritise myself above everything else. And I think the confidence it has given me because I was very shy as a kid before I was diagnosed. I was so timid. I barely used to speak, like, in a public setting. Um, So, like, to see yourself, I think, grow as a person and a lot of it having to do with, you know, like, your condition and wanting to raise awareness and wanting to do something to help your community, I think it has probably made me the best version of myself that I can be considering, like, everything that's gone on. And and honestly, it's brought me so much closer to my mum than I think maybe... I think we had a very formal relationship, I remember as when I was a kid. And um, because we spent so much time together, like she was with me the entire time I was in hospital, like leading up to my diagnosis uh, day and night. And then even after, like she is literally my rock through all of this. So I feel like it's brought us so close that, I don't know, maybe things would have been different, you know, if, you know, this had never kind of happened to me. And I do think, there always needs to be someone who speaks up in the family and someone who is willing to take take it upon themselves to help the family you know learn and have these important conversations that aren't being had and if that's what it takes for us to be that person then I guess you know for me I have to see that as a silver lining because there's just so much that needs to be done in our community like and I think this kind of like the blame game and making us feel like we're responsible for what's happening to us that needs to stop and if that's what it, and if we're the ones who are having that conversation with the ones around us then I see that as a silver lining as well Because hopefully going forward it's only going to make things easier for the next generation and then you know so on and so on
0: say someone sat at home listening to the podcast when it's out And they've been diagnosed with a chronic condition or, you know, a hidden disability and they're not really getting any support. No one's really listening to them. What advice would you give them?
1: I would say like similar to kind of what I did, look for, you know, organisations related to that chronic condition or illness. And generally, you know, through these organisations, you can either join you know, the team as a volunteer to find a community that is supporting you or they do have support groups and, you know, communities that come together. Uh, There is a lot of support. I think what's changed like since my diagnosis to now is that the online community has grown, you know, so rapidly that the support is there. You just have to look for it. And I um, I think you mentioned before about, you know, certain groups maybe being a bit toxic. So it's finding the right group as well. And um, not a community that's going to make you feel guilty or feel bad for, you know, having been diagnosed with what you are going through. And, you know, if that support's not there, then there's a lot of like, in terms of mental health, there are a lot of, you know, helplines that you can reach out to. But there's also in the UK, like what I've found really helped and I've recommended to so many others, talking therapies, you can self-refer to, and it takes like a few minutes online. You can get on um, and refer yourself. And then that gives you a space to talk to someone who can hopefully, you know, refer you on to somewhere else if you need that. Um, I think the most important thing I would say is, you know, find a community that is giving you the support that you need rather than just feeling like you have to go through this alone. Because what I found over the past five years uh, since I opened up, is that there is a very kind of willing and helpful community out there that is ready to support you and help you however you need, you just have to find it. 100%
0: and I think there was one charity that actually helped me write a letter to my GP when they went, the whole medical practice in fact, and yeah. they went listening to me and I was like someone's on my side, like mm. oh wow someone's actually fighting my corner and then because I was part of so many groups, there was quite a few people from my city that I found on there. And there was, I put the other three in a group and just, we just spoke, we've never actually met, we've had Zoom calls, but we just talk now and again. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. oh, how long has it taken for you to get to neuro? And I'm having a bad day and how's everyone getting on and with the weather changing and stuff like that. And it's not every day. It might be once a month or once every two months, but they're there and they're not necessarily gonna judge you and they're gonna get it and they're in similar positions whereas sometimes saying to a friend oh I've got my fatigue is really bad today I'll be like oh should I cure you or what do you mean what's happened and I find like the communities that are willing to help you and are there for you they are really there for you they are really down for you no matter what you're going through so it's definitely helpful. helpful
1: yeah and it's not going to be I feel like talking about fatigue in itself is exhausting because no one gets it unless they have it so when I mention it to anyone that doesn't deal with it I'm like oh my god this whole conversation is just adding to the fatigue so I'm done but when I talk to like I I do have a group of friends who have IBD now and when I talk to them there's just a level of understanding that isn't there with like your relatives or anyone else and like you said there's no judgment and with like Um, it's specific to IBD but um, Crohn's and Colitis UK do virtual events as well and they do them very regularly you can look up on their website and just join whichever one you know suits you they do them quite regularly through through the month I host them on occasion and we've had the feedback we've had from there as well is that you know for the first time I felt heard and understood and that you know I'm not going through this alone like you mentioned about like How long did it take for you to get to neuro? Even just having that is, you know, it's reassuring. Like, oh, I've been waiting six weeks. You waited two months. So, okay, I'll wait a bit more because I know that it can take up to two months. So I'm not like just like no one's forgotten about me. Uh, Whereas if you're dealing with it alone, like what do I do? I don't know who to reach out to. I felt that very, the support was so valuable to me when I had the ileostomy bag when I came home. I was so confused. I had one session with the stoma nurse on the ward. She showed me how to change it myself. And then that was it. I was sent home. I did have a follow-up then to see the stoma nurse um, in two weeks time after I was home. But there there were so many little things that I had no clue like what to do about and how to deal with. And uh, when I joined, there was a Facebook group online that I joined. I would just, anytime I would pop in a question there, I had like five or six people responding straight away. Yeah. And I felt like within minutes, I had that support that I needed. And it just gave me like clarity in that time. So I think just having, I think feeling, some people might feel like I can deal with this alone. I don't need the support. You'd be surprised how helpful just having, like you said, just chatting to someone or having someone on your side, it can make a huge difference. Definitely. What's next for you and where can people find you? So what's next for me? Well, I'm hoping to, of course, continue with the work that I have been doing. You can find me on Instagram or, uh, at Crohn's Babble. that's C-R-O-H-N-S-B-A-B-B-L-E. So that's more like my personal page, but the work that I'm doing, like on a wider scale with IBD This ease, you can find me there as well, working with the team that I work with. And we are expanding on, like for the past year and a half, we have come together as a team to start a, a non-profit organization, South Asian IBD Alliance, and uh, the work we're doing with that. So like one of my close friends, her handle is Crohns on Instagram. She's the president of the organization. And, you know, through that, like we've been doing like talks with we joined together with a group of clinicians from across the globe, and we have a patient team as well. And together, we're hoping to increase education, raise awareness, and potentially, you know, get to a point where we are able to help the South Asian IBD community, and you know, maybe gain access to medication in areas that that don't have access to certain medications at the moment, and see more of you know, more South Asians involved in research and clinical trials. So there is a a huge push on that end with South Asian IBD Alliance. I focus more on like the design side of things. I do a lot of their graphic design work. So that's kind of like where my strength is with that. But yeah, I think just continuing to raise awareness and hopefully, you know, like I said earlier even if I'm able to help just one person (laughs) then I feel like we're doing a good thing. And on a wider scale, if we're able to increase access to medication, help aid early diagnosis in some ways, um, like a lot of the content we're trying to provide, we're trying to make accessible in various languages because with my experience when I was diagnosed and like how I felt for my parents that, you know, your young child has just been diagnosed and no one is trying to, relay this information to you in a language that you fully understand I feel like that's a huge barrier that needs at this point should have been overcome but you know I have heard from people even today saying that you know an interpreter has never been considered for them or like I think you mentioned you're just handed a leaflet or you're given a link to a website go look up go look it up for yourself yep yeah. But you should be able to have these conversations with your clinician you know it should be they should be the ones so i think just there's little things that we're hoping to see changes with so access and just making information more accessible and just i think allowing those of us who are living with a disability or a chronic condition to gain the confidence to advocate for themselves so that if you feel like you are being wronged in any way or you're not being listened to that you can hopefully from the support and the information we provide then you can go on to advocate for your health and say like look this isn't right what like what you mentioned I mean I think it's terrible that you had to go through all of that and people just weren't listening to you but hopefully like with the conversations you're having on your podcast and raising awareness uh, someone who might be going through something similar is thinking okay she didn't back down and she didn't you know, just get on with it like she was told to. She kept pushing until she found an answer. Um, And I think that's one thing that I'm hoping the work that I continue to do does help with. Like I want to make sure people are seeking the help that they need when they need it and not feeling defeated when maybe at first it's not being offered, but it's not an easy thing to do, but you have to keep pushing. Like you, you have to just keep going until people listen. I mean, it's it shouldn't be that way, but it is. But hopefully, you know, with the work we continue to do, people realise that they deserve answers.
0: Yeah. And it's, um, it's such powerful work that you're doing. And it's not easy when you are ill as well. I think sometimes people have a misconception that because you're now advocating and you're raising awareness, you're now fine. And you're like, I'm still relapsing behind the scenes, or, you know, I'm still like someone said to me, Oh, you're posting so much on TikTok, you're doing great. And I was like, I'm actually bedbound. That's why I'm posting so much, because that's all I can do. And everyone's like, Oh, I thought
1: you were doing really well. I was like, Yeah, I think that's uh, that is one thing that we've struggled with as a team, as a whole. Is that, you know, we get a lot of people coming to us for advice and support and lots of messages. And I think people forget that you're a patient as well. And like we're going through a lot at the same time. But I think that's where I struggle with social media a little bit because I'm very comfortable sharing things I've been through. But like I mentioned, I'm going through a flare at the moment. I struggle with talking about all of that online because I feel like I need to get through it. Yeah. to be able to talk about it because it's so kind of fresh and it's happening right now and until I'm in remission again I don't feel comfortable talking about it that's I think that's just me personally because no, I've seen relatable. So many, very relatable. Yeah, yeah. it's hard I've seen so many like very powerful accounts you know IBD advocates who you know they talk through their entire experience and that is important valuable for me I feel like I have to get through it before I can then like reflect on it so I think that's where the assumption comes in that oh you must be doing really well because you're not talking about anything or you're not posting about your health anymore you're just posting about regular things that it's not always the case there's I think if we talked about every little thing you will be like oh my god you never stop talking about your condition (laughs) so there's no winning definitely Sharon thank
0: you so much for being on the podcast it's been really inspiring to hear about your story and I've certainly like learned a lot me you as well so thank you so much
1: of course thank you so much for having me on I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> to get your email and then I, I checked out your podcast and I was like oh yeah I'd love to do this yeah even like the work you're doing I think is incredible I wasn't aware of like you know a condition that could affect you in that way so for me as well neither I <laughs> until I got it <laughs> I know it's, I mean there's so many things that just come out of the blue and and then I mean I don't know if like you mentioned that you've got a group of friends but I don't know how common it is like what
0: you have um I mean it's increasing in terms of diagnosis but it's one of those yeah. where it could be something else but this is what we're given and it's yeah. so varied so it's like you've got FND see you later go deal with it. It's not that serious, but sometimes people can be misdiagnosed. It can actually be MS, could lead to other things, but yeah, it's
1: uh, definitely something that keeps me um, intrigued about the condition. Yeah, I think, and I think it's incredible that you've decided to, you know, open up and start raising awareness rather than, uh, especially as a South Asian, because I think that just makes it so much harder to do. I don't think people from the wider community even f- like for myself and what we've realized as South Asians with IBD people who aren't South Asian I don't think they realize how difficult it is when we talk about the difficulties and we talk about the stigma we will sometimes get people saying what stigma like there's no stigma like own it you've got IBD it's fine and we're like yeah but then you've got people shaming us or telling us that we're worthless or yep. we're never going to get married and you know the stigma is is it can be very damaging and we've because we work with patients from all over it seems to be even worse in other parts of the world where you know you're forced to hide it even with someone you're about to marry and like just like i can't imagine ever doing that because it would take like one day for them to figure it out that something's not right because i don't know how i would hide it i genuinely don't know, Um, like if I was to get married, I think I would have to tell like their entire family because it would have to be something that I open up about so that no one's wondering like, why is she so kind of like elusive and isolated and we never see her, does she not like us? It's going to create so many more problems, I feel if you're not open. And I think over time, that's what I realized. When I was so secretive about it, people started wondering, like, what is going on with her? Especially at work. If I would disappear and I would take, like, four or five trips to the bathroom every day, I remember in one job, they said I was dosing off. Like, can you But you keep disappearing when we need you to do things? And then when I said to my manager, she was like, why didn't you just tell me? And I was like, I didn't know that I could. Like, I've yeah. kept it quiet for so many years. So it's just little things like that and I feel like with these you know podcasts I love listening to podcasts because I can multitask when when I'm doing it otherwise I feel like I'm kind of you know just sat in one place like you're watching something whereas with podcasts I can listen you know freely it's so helpful and you know there may be people you're helping that you'll never know about because they're not even comfortable coming to you and letting you know that you've helped them in some ways so yeah thank you for having me on and thank you for doing the the work that you do. Thank you.